Hi, welcome. Thank you for joining the Wellness Trinity podcast. I'm Dr. Jacqueline, naturopathic doctor and owner of the Wellness Trinity, where we provide natural solutions for modern day wellness. Just a little disclaimer before we get started. What we discuss in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. What you do with this information is to be used at your discretion as the recommendations are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. So today I have a special guest on the show. His name is Tom Fisher, and I actually knew him from when I was doing the health educator program at Hippocrates Health Institute. And over the years, he's been such a great resource to me, and I'm I'm just so grateful that he's kind of been there along my journey and, and just been able to be someone I can ask questions to whenever I, I, I feel stuck and can't find the answer myself <laughs> or, uh, or just need another uh, person's opinion on something. So, so grateful to him. He's helped so many people with various diseases and things that people find that they're having challenges in their health. So he is an RN and a VA. He's a nurse supervisor, certified health educator, and stage four cancer survivor. Tom has studied under some of the top integrated medical practitioners in the world, including studying integrated medicine with Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine and the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. He holds a BA in psychology from Cutstown University and RN training from Roxborough Memorial Hospital School of Nursing. Tom has lectured throughout the United States on health and nutrition. He is a Hippocrates Health Educator and Health Optimization Coaching Academy, or HOCA, instructor. He has also written and edited many articles for the Hippocrates magazine, Healing Our World. Tom is passionate about empowering people with the living foods lifestyle and enjoys his work, which includes providing clients with nutritionally based health consultations. Thomas consulted with thousands of people from all over the world with various health challenges over seven years at Hippocrates Institute and for many years before Hippocrates. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Always good to be here and, uh, you know, good to see you and doing well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like I said, I really appreciate you on the show. We're going to talk about cancer and some natural uh, anti-cancer strategies. And just to make sure, I know I read this bio and it said that you've been at Hippocrates for over seven years. How long has it really been so far? Well, it's actually come April, it's going to be nine years. So it's moving right along, but continuing to learn and grow. So that's what I like and help people. Okay, yeah, I had a feeling that that didn't seem quite right because I was there, I think it was about seven years ago. I was like, no, I don't think he was new then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so why don't you share a little bit about your story? It's just incredible that you're able to recover from stage four cancer. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so, you know, I I grew up like a lot of people on that standard American diet and, you know, really ate pretty poor, uh, lots of animal protein, lots of sugar, lots of dairy. And, you know, I was pretty athletic too. And, you know, I played basketball to the collegiate level. And, what I didn't know then, which I've learned you know, later, is that you know, athletes need much more in the way of nutrients and nutrient support. And I was definitely not doing that. And I think um, that along with possibly some exposure to uh, pesticides or herbicides, as a younger man during the summers, I would work in landscaping. 
And I believe some of that probably affected me, but developed, you know, stage four cancer at a young age of uh, age 29, actually stage four cancer to the bone. And it was a lymphoma called Hodgkin's. So it's a blood cancer. And with that, you know, I was trying to research things, but, you know, again, I didn't know a whole lot way back then as far as natural medicines or naturopathic or really nutrition in general. And did do some chemotherapy and uh, about six months worth of that. And uh, during that time, when I finished, it landed me in the hospital with a highly compromised immune system, basically getting sick with all types of viruses, had electrolyte imbalances, and my memory was shot from what they call chemo brain. Had a hard time remembering anything. And back then, I learned statistically I had about 40% chance of living five years. So that was really the huge motivator for me to start learning about natural medicine and nutrition and start trying to find things essentially to help heal myself. And, you know, through that time, I started to learn, you know, about veganism, taking it to a higher level into raw foods, and then learning about Hippocrates, you know, and I kind of stumbled across learning about Hippocrates, you know, my mom, told me to go to a weekend event that was teaching how to do raw living foods. And the keynote speaker was our director here, Brian Clement. And, you know, just what he said made sense, you know, that people were doing well with the, the lifestyle and the diet, recovering from different disorders, some good research behind things. So I started doing that. You know, I started adding these foods in my life and my, my energy just came about and started to have more energy, more mental clarity, you know, my health was progressing in the right direction. And then I just decided, you know, I need to go to Hippocrates and do the program in full. So I did that. And then after that, I did the health educator like yourself. And I quit my job to do it. You know, I was working then as a nurse in a medical surgical oncology unit. And I, I really didn't feel I was helping those people, you know, as you know, not really what I wanted to do or in the way that I wanted to help people. And so I left that, did the training. And then not long after that, got the job here at Hippocrates, been here now for close to nine years. And for me, it's been very rewarding because, you know, I've seen people using natural means overcome all types of disorders, you know, including cancer. And, you know, for myself, you know, stage four cancer survivor now over 18 years. And so, you know, it's very rewarding to, to help people in that way and to use uh, natural means that are going to be effective for their body. Yeah. Well, and I like to think that it's really what our body is, it needs. <laughs> exactly. It's not just about using natural therapies, but for really finding out what the body is lacking and using mm -hmm. that to rebalance it. Sure. Absolutely. So can you explain to the audience, what is Hodgkin's lymphoma? That's the cancer you had. Yeah, so Hodgkin's lymphoma essentially is uh, a type of blood cancer. So some cancers will be normally masses, which a blood cancer can become a mass, but some are more specific in a region. So this cancer would be throughout the lymphatics or parts of the lymphatic system, but mine was so advanced, it was progressing into the bone and also creating some masses as well. And that's how they initially diagnosed me was through a, an x-ray that showed a mass in my chest region, which is essentially where the lymphatics dumps into. And that's where you know a large part of that was. 
but you know certain factors can contribute to that through some of the research there's a greater potential for people that may have had pesticide exposure at higher levels like i did my diet of course was horrendous so my immune system was probably not doing great in general and i'm for sure i was nutritionally depleted which again will weaken the body and also the immune system You know, I have a question. One of the things that I've kind of developed in my theory with food over time is that we have to get all the toxins out of our food as much as possible. So if you had been eating a similar diet, but if you, if it wasn't as toxic or you weren't even exposed to the pesticides, do you think that you still would have had a similar chance to to getting this cancer? Possibly. There's other factors. I think, you know, the mind, body, and stress play a big part with cancer too. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, but when I was going through college, and that was another error for me where, you know, there was some uh, different little parties that would go on and you would have some drinks and things. And I remember telling some of my friends after a few drinks, you know, because my lifestyle was so unhealthy, I said, wow, I'd be lucky to, to live past 30. So I told them, and then, you know, I was diagnosed at age 29. So I think, you know, our words, our mind, and mind-body play a big part with things too. So there could have been factors with stress as well. But to me, I think with a lot of the cancers out there, in my personal experience, besides environmental toxicity probably being number one, emotional, probably a very close second if not first, and uh, dental issues mm. also being a factor in weakening the immunity and potential infections and depending what materials they use, weakening the body. Mm. Are you guys at that point at where you have dentists at Hippocrates now? That's, I don't know, I, I guess I just saw that happening at some point. Yeah, it, it is, you know, it's a good question. I mean, we are looking to have one on campus at one point we do refer out to biological dentists and we do have a dentist that does come here and lecture on, on, you know, natural or biological dentistry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I used to work for a dentist too. And it just, during that season of my life, it made me definitely think about how it is the first contact where you, you put food in your mouth mm-hmm. and the first part of your digestive system and how important it is and how if we have any types of infections in our teeth, it could be manifesting systemically in our body as well, too, or vice versa. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back to um, the lymphatic system, can you explain a little bit more? Because I feel like for most people, we talk about the colon, we talk about the liver, kidneys, but a lot of people are not talking about the lymphatic system. Yeah, well, I mean, lymphatic system, extremely important for the body because essentially that's basically cleaning up all the garbage that our body has to handle. It's a a reservoir that works basically in conjunction near our arteries and veins, but it needs movement. So if we're not moving much, we're not moving our lymphatics and then waste and debris and things can build up. And it may even develop in a lymph node where we have a swelling of a lymph node and we're like, wow, what's going on? Am I something going and, you know, maybe there is more, but a lot of times that's our body trying to do its job, but it's not moving. So the lymphatics are getting stagnant. So we do a lot of things here at Hippocrates to move lymphatics. We do various different exercise classes. We use rebounders, little mini trampolines for movement. 
uh, hydration is going to help a lot. And we use vibrational technology such as TurboSonic, which is a sound vibrational machine people stand on, or power plate, which is also a vibrational machine as well. We do lymphatic massage to help. And then people even will do skin brushing. And skin brushing is with a soft bristle brush. And you always want to brush that towards your heart. That's where the lymphatics empties out. Go from arms down, feet up towards the heart emptying out. And these are some general ways that we can start helping our lymphatic system. Hmm. So if you're, if people's colon and their kidneys and their liver are doing pretty good, do you think that naturally their lymphatic system is I always thought if those were not doing good, then the lymphatic system would get backed up. Or is it kind of its own well, thing? It's normally, if you have a pretty healthy person and those major organ systems are doing good, most likely the lymphatics aren't going to be compromised unless they had some major exposure or they're really following an unhealthy diet and it's starting to catch up to them. But yeah, normally I would think they it would be not not an issue if those other organs were functioning well. Okay, so how do you think sweat plays a role with the lymphatic system? Well, I mean, sweat's gonna help us detoxify. So that's one of the routes. I mean, there's different routes through the sweat, through the feces, through the urine, through our breath. Um, we're cleansing. And so we definitely like to cleanse via the, the skin. We use infrared saunas that help to heat the body up help activate also the immunity, but help us cleanse through the skin. Like I mentioned, lots of exercise classes, perspiring. Um, we use steam saunas as well. And so anytime you're, you can do that, because, you know, unfortunately the planet has, in my opinion, and from what I've researched, hit such a threshold of toxicity. I don't really think it's something that is a, a nice to be, I think it's, you definitely should be doing it and right. doing it on a regular basis because our bodies need that support. And we, you know, with this type of toxicity we're getting from our water, the air, from the soils, we really have to live in a much healthier way mm -hmm. to do well. So how long do you think people need to sweat if they're using that as part of their uh, well, normally we have people build up to about 20, 30 minutes with it uh, when they're cleansing. And again, you know, you can also do it through exercise, you know, if they can't get a sauna or, you know, they can even do other things. You know, maybe we can't afford a sauna. We don't have access to a gym. We can do like a hot bath to help us perspire a bit. And that's, you know, another way we can support ourselves. Okay. Can you explain the difference between steam sauna and a dry sauna and the benefits? Yeah. So, you know, the steam saunas will work more on some of the water-based organs. So that's things like our lungs. And we love it because we'll also implement some eucalyptus spray of the oil of eucalyptus. And this will open up the lungs greater because we have people with a lot of different type of lung concerns that come here, whether it be asthma or some other chronic lung ailment to really open up those airways and those bronchioles. 
So they're excellent for that with the steam. The dry saunas uh, will work on some of the other organs like the liver. They help to raise our body temperature internally by about a degree or two, which will start to activate our lymphatics as well. And it helps to kill things like bacteria and other organisms that aren't normally ideal for our body. So the steam, let's see, some people call it the word steam, not steam shower, steam, steam room. <laughs> um, so some, so that's not as good as killing bacteria or anything like It'll that? It'll be helpful. It'll be helpful, but that heats from the outside. So it might help with some of the external bacteria if one has some of that more so than say uh, the uh, dry sauna. Oh, okay. So this, the steam room is better for external type of toxins versus internal. Yeah, and then in the water-based organs like the lungs. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting to know. Yeah, yeah there's uh, so many people talking about this health space about how infrared sauna is really important. And that's what you guys are using at Hippocrates, right? Our infrared? Yeah, we have tons of infrared saunas here. They're all over the campus. And so people get to use them whenever they need to, really and definitely see a lot of good benefits when that. There's even smaller saunas, you know, people don't have the room at home. When I use, you can just basically sit in a chair and zip it up and you're gonna get the infrared and the heat to the body, your head's out, and um, you can still get the benefits at home, you know, instead of having a big unit in your home if you don't have a lot of room. So what about, um some people say you should keep the head in and some people say you should keep it out. Do you think that there's a difference? Well, I mean, I think if you, if you can get full body in there, you'll probably get a little bit more benefit. I don't think it'd be negative to have, you know, in a, in a sauna with your whole body. I think it's fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's get back to the idea of cancer. I guess this is all related, but you know, we talk about cancer all the time. Is there a way that you can define even what it is? Well, cancer basically is abnormal cells that can potentially mutate. They can either go in a benign sense where it's not necessarily going to be a problem, that big a deal for the body, depending on where it's at. Benign meaning it won't continue to necessarily spread to other areas and have uncontrolled growth, but malignant will potentially spread and depending on where the cancer is it potentially may spread other areas and really the metastases is really the real problem when we have a cancer in a region and if it's not a super huge tumor then it's going to be a lot more manageable than if something has spread throughout the body and using natural means can be uh, very effective to support the healing process. Mm -hmm. So when people get a surgery and they want to cut the tumor out, um, you know, I always think, well, you have to, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I learned this at Hippocrates, you have to clean the whole body up, right? Yeah. I mean, you still, I mean, say maybe you needed the surgery, maybe the tumor was affecting your circulation maybe it was extremely painful. Maybe we just couldn't function with it there. When they take it out, yeah, you still want to really utilize the diet, the natural therapies, because there could potentially be some circulating cells left in the body. 
And depending if the immune system's compromised, it may not be able to handle those cells. And then we can run into the same problem or a different type of cancer. And so that's where, you know, we still want to be very diligent in what we do, even if we, you know, remove the mass and, you know, maybe they say we're in remission, but, you know, taking precautions is going to be really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is So do you think that people get recurring cancer um, diagnoses because they're not doing this type of work as well too, lifestyle cleanup? <laughs> yeah, I think one of the statistics that, uh, you know, I learned through Brian was, um, you know, basically if a cancer is treated, uh, even if it went into remission through, you know, different conventional means, about 93% will return. And the unfortunate thing is certain treatments that are done, for example, chemotherapy, what can happen is there can be certain stem cells that are left from the cancer. And these can become a lot more aggressive because they're already resistant to the therapies that were done before. And they can be more resistant to other therapies. And that's, again, where natural means become that much more important. Because if you even wanted to do something conventionally, it may be very ineffective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that, well, actually, before I even ask this question, how long have you been without cancer? So me, it's been uh, over 18 years now. Okay. Well, on that note, do you think people should be afraid of cancer? Well, I wouldn't say be afraid because, you know, I don't really like the people to have sort of a negative emotion, if you would, that's not serving them. But I would say to take action and be aware of it and and do things to create a body that has a strong immune system, a body that is cleansing, at least periodically, to reduce our toxic burden, and and using high-level nutrients, too, to really support us nutritionally. And then, of course, keeping active and uh, all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah. So do you think there's a point where it's people can't really turn around from it? Well, not too often, not too often. I mean, I, I've, you know, personally, I've seen people who were even told go to hospice, nothing more we can do for you. You have maybe a week, two weeks or a month to live, you know, and, and it's very unfortunate, but I've seen some of even those people recover from cancer using natural means. I've seen people with pancreatic cancer, which is almost unknown for people to really survive conventionally. I've seen people over five years, survivors and still surviving, that have used a lot of the things that we've done here. So I think in most cases, there's still hope. I mean, you know, of course, there's, you know, some people that might be really, really advanced in a hospital or something, and they just can't do a lot of the natural things. And that's, you know, unfortunate situation. But I mean, I've seen people with really advanced situations and had turned it around. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I, you know, it's something that is just so scary for most people. And at the same time, it's so rampant. It's so rampant in society and it's only getting worse, especially with what, like what you said, the toxicity is is becoming pretty unbearable. I mean, I will have to say and admit that even for myself as a naturopath, 
it, it's unbearable for me sometimes to think about like we're trying our hardest <laughs> and yet it's uh you know for most people it just seems like it's this constant battle so mm. uh, you know again for those of you that are listening it's very important to constantly be detoxing and doing your infrared saunas and, and sweating and eating mm -hmm. healthy and, and taking these precautions. And like Tom said, it's not just a luxury. It's a necessity. If you really just even want to live, <laughs> I mean, 29 years old and being diagnosed with cancer is, is a scary thing. My dad was 38 when he died of cancer. Wow. So he, within about just about a year, he was diagnosed and he died and, you know, unfortunately, we didn't know about these things back then, yeah. or some of them, maybe it just wasn't soon enough to take full action, or we didn't know, you know, because I feel like sometimes people take some action, but it's not really everything that they need. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, for sure. You know, maybe one part of of the whole, that's where we want the, the holistic care, of course, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things people can do to, to help themselves. Yeah, so... One thing that has been on my mind, and you know, we discussed this off air, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Where is a good place to live? I mean, this world, as we've discussed several times here, is just becoming more and more polluted. And then we have even um, EMF pollution, which is just getting worse and worse with the 5G network that's coming about. And we got chemtrails and dirty water, and I mean, the list goes on. So, is there are there healthier places? Let's just start in the U.S. <laughs> to live. <laughs> or how do we discover where, you know, when we're trying to move or trying to heal and we really think we need to think about our environment? Like, where, where what do we need well, to you know, it's interesting. I mean, because, you know, some of the places that used to be extremely healthy, for example, like Hawaii, used to be a really sought-after place that's very healthy. And then after Fukushima... I don't know how well that did after that, you know, that there was a tremendous amount of radiation in that region. And, you know, depending on where someone's at, what they're getting affected by. And it, and it can really depend on a lot of factors, you know, are they close to farms that aren't organic? Because then there can be runoff into their waterways and creating toxicity that way, or how much industries in that region, you know, some people like some of the mountains of North Carolina, I would say, are a bit less polluted in that sense. But anywhere where you have a high population, it's going to be challenging to really minimize the toxicity. There's ways to do it. You know, we can, of course, purify our water well beyond what we get from municipal water. We can use air filters to basically create almost like a little bubble at home. And, you know, of course, you probably wear certain plants we can use to help indoor air like ferns or spider plants. Yeah. But there are ways to minimize our toxicity because, you know, I can't really say, to be quite honest, you know, if there's one place that's so much better, probably the more rural you go, as long as it's not a, around a lot of farmland, it's probably going to be better off. In, at least in the U.S. here. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking, that mm -hmm. I have to move to the forest or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's crazy that we You're out in California, right? Huh? You're out in California? No, actually, I ended up moving to Las Vegas. Oh, Vegas, Vegas, that's right, before. okay. Back to California, now back to yeah. Las Vegas. And so. There's a lot to think about when you're in Las Vegas and you just look up in the skies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's... Um, so. Um, you got to make know, a little you, bubble out there. I'm sorry. 
you have to make a bubble for yourself. <laughs> it's pretty much, I feel like, you know, the, the blessing that we have here is that there's sun. Even in October, I'm going outside in the pool and I'm getting my sun, but I'm at the same time, I'm scared of the chemtrails. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know if this is, you know, I, I'm feeling better because I'm getting sun, but then at the same time, I'm like, oh, I don't know how much I'm getting poisoned at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, it's a lot to think about. And I know that even people listening to this are, I might not even know what a chemtrail is. So I'll let you guys do your research, but on the rural note, you know, it, the question then is if we have to move out to rural areas to be healthier, what type of jobs are people doing? I mean, does, does everyone have to go online to, to work or are we mm -hmm. creating our own little farms on our plantations? <laughs> Most likely. Yeah. It'd probably be a lot of online work. <laughs> yeah. Then we got the internet that, or the EMS from the computer. <laughs> so anyway the point is that there's a lot going on and we just have to take our our steps and yeah. you know, at some point I think we just have to surrender and, and if we're doing everything that we can then what else you know there's prayer we, we definitely should pray about this stuff that mm -hmm. things are going to be you know that maybe laws can be changed <laughs> and then also maybe taking action too I, I find my aunt is a political activist and she's always yeah. doing side petitions and things of that sort and I think that mm -hmm. it is very important to consider those you know that type of action as well yeah yeah for sure you know any way to curtail government and things that are going a little askew with the environment and, or a lot, or even, you know, with our food and supplements, you know, with such things like the Codex Alimentaris, that, that could be disastrous for the United States if that gets fully implemented. Mm -hmm. as as Can you explain it. to the audience what that is? Yeah, basically, um, you know, in a nutshell, a Codex Alimentaris is a set of food rules that were developed way back uh, around uh, World War II. And they didn't really have any power back then per se because it was an idea to have standards of nutrition. And it was developed by some people that were affiliated with the Nazi party. And they got together with some of their people and uh, decided they wanted to create these rules for food, but it was more about control, really, about controlling the food. Because if you control food, you control people. And so when they got out of jail, because they went to jail for crimes against humanity, they basically got the World Health Organization involved with it somehow and said, hey, we're not bad guys anymore. We want to help people and create standards of nutrition. We want to create this thing called the Codex. And so somehow they went along with it, but it still didn't really have any power. It didn't have any power until it went and got involved with the World Trade Organization, which is essentially like 177 different countries that if you trade with them, you have to abide by Codex rules. And Codex rules essentially will dictate nutrition a lot of different ways. So for example, say for supplements, for example, in Codex, all supplements are toxins until they decide otherwise. So mm -hmm. you could do like Hippocrates, put organic food-based nutrition in a capsule, and they'll call it a toxin until they decide otherwise. That's why certain countries that implement it, like Canada, had a really hard time getting any decent nutritionals into that country for a while. We're still working with their regulatory boards to get some of our things through. And they make you jump through lots and lots of hoops to do that. Some countries in Europe can't even get anything 
Yeah. yeah, just deal with it. And then the unfortunate thing with food per se, you know, at least here in the United States, if it was implemented fully, bring back certain known carcinogenic pesticides into the food production again. Genetically modified organisms could be considered organic. They could grow food with sewer sludge. Mm. Also, you would need a permit to grow food in your own space that you live. And then also getting back to supplements, if you would want a supplement, it would have to be prescribed by your medical doctor. And then it wouldn't be any natural supplement. It's going to be a synthetic one. It's not going to be whole food based anymore. And essentially, the really, in my opinion, the diabolical part of this whole scenario is all the levels of nutrition, all the levels of vitamins and minerals, every single one that they allow and what they want for their standard are all below the levels to prevent chronic disease. So what's that tell us? They want to keep a population sick, dependent on a medical system, which again, in my opinion, isn't very effective because I've worked in it, and dependent on pharmaceutical drugs, which have many side effects in many cases, and in some cases don't even work well at all, and can be deadly. For example, with Vioxx, when people use that for cholesterol and they 55,000 people died mm. because of that medicine. Mm-hmm. And so these are some of the things that they're trying to push through in, the, in this country. But, you know, we've tried to lobby against it. We had a lobbyist that's been, you know, helping to block things. But, you know, we're a small organization in the scheme of things. But there are people that have been petitioning and educating. There's a website called POP. POPcampaign.org, and they're educating people about the codex and ways that you can tell your government representatives that, you know, this isn't really something you want in the U.S. Yeah. It's not really good for anybody about, you know, any, any human beings anyway. It's good for certain industries to make money, but not good for anyone's health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for explaining all of that. Um, yeah. That's a lot kind of, of a heavy thing. thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said it's kind of a heavy topic. Yeah, yeah. You just definitely dropped the bomb here. <laughs> As if it wasn't already a heavy topic <laughs> in conversation. But you know what? This is important. This is yeah. why we do this podcast too, is because people need to know what is going on and not education is power if you're trying to figure out why you're dealing with a health issue and also yeah. how to not have to deal with a health issue. Yeah, you want to hear though the 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 thing that's the most egregious about that codex that when the World Health Organization looked at it again and they looked at it if it was implemented worldwide, they stated that three to four billion people will die of starvation and malnutrition because of it. Oh my god, that's the really awful thing there. Uh, Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we all need to get on popcampaign.org. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, at least there's something to do to, to fight against this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know with, um, with all this stuff that we're talking about, it, it can get pretty overwhelming. So, you know, when I, the more that I get into this field or that I am in this field and people around me are and yourself, and we learn this stuff, like how do you stay at peace? knowing all these things and then you know because you know obviously you know stress is not 
healthy either. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, everyone, you know, has stress and everyone can handle it different ways. You know, I like to use, you know, sometimes simple things like meditation. I like to use exercise to help with stress. I like to use a therapy we do called New Calm. And if you're not familiar with that, that essentially is a device where they give you a little electrodes here. They use therapeutic music and they cover the eyes of light and they use a little bit of GABA cream, the neurotransmitter. Yeah. And it takes your body from a sympathetic stress state to parasympathetic very quickly. And a half an hour is like two hours of restful sleep with it too. And this has been shown even by Harvard research to be 97% effective for people to get you to that theta state, which is like a meditative state. And then beyond that, I'll use uh, sometimes adaptogens to help with stress like rhodiola mm -hmm. and even sometimes some of the hemp oil or CBD oil, as some people know about it, full spectrum, I can find to be helpful with that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you still think that even though as toxicity and all this crazy stuff goes up, there's still a lot of hope, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of hope. And I think, you know, there are a lot of ways that, you know, we as a society can move to start to reduce that and reduce our emissions and start getting into, you know, better ways of transportation, you know, using recycling, being more environmentally conscious to protect that. So I think there are a lot of things that can be done to, to help ourselves and to help the planet. I think one of the biggest things somebody can do for the planet themselves is just to try to start eating vegan or moving more to that plant-based raw diet. And you're going to do a lot to really reduce gas emissions, reduce pollution that's created through animals and all kinds of things. Hmm. So why is there so much pollution being excreted through animals and the consumption of so, it? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, animals will utilize, of course, a lot of water because they have to live. And, you know, there's so many more animals than people on the planet that are unfortunately being used as food. So they're using that one resource, which is a finite resource. A lot of people don't believe it is, but it is. Then they're also using food, grains or corn or other things that could be used as food for people as opposed to, you know, raising animals through essentially uh, commercial means. And a lot of the waste product is what starts creating the CO2 gases. And these are things that can affect our ozone, start heating the planet up and using a lot of the resources there with the elimination of that waste too. And that waste can start to create toxicity within those regions that, that people live. And then also, uh, depending on what animals are used, they may use certain other foods. For example, in for chicken, some chicken will uh, have arsenic in their feed. Mm -hmm. So if somebody ever like cut into a chicken if they were eating it and saw a broken blood vessel, that's arsenic poisoning. So, you know, a lot of these things require a lot of basically our uh, resources and, uh, and creating these CO2 gases and other, other waste, and not to mention the transportation of those products too through trucks and other means that are also polluting the environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's with the whole vegan debate, 
I've come across several different vegans and they're not always healthy. Yeah. So what is the best way if someone decides to be a vegan, what is, how can they be healthy being a vegan? Yeah. So, you know, people can be vegan and eat extremely bad. You know, you can eat vegan donuts and French fries and vegan pastry all day and you're a vegan, you know, but it's not going to be a healthy way to do things. So, you know, really, if they can start to implement different things in their life, juicing would be a, a great thing to add in when they're vegan, because then they can start to get lots of greens and vegetables within that and, and just utilize it through a juicing process. We like to add in sprouts, too. If you can add sprouts into your diet, you're really starting to really kick it up, because then you're adding in the superfoods factor with you know, some of the sprouts 10 to 30 times more nutritious than the most nutritious vegetables. But what's really cool about sprouts is the high levels of phytonutrients. So phytonutrients are tremendously anti-cancer and they've been studied as well. I'll give you the example of a broccoli sprout. So University of Oregon, what they taught us is what we kind of already knew was when you take a sprout of broccoli you get 50 times the phytonutrients than the mature plant, not percent, 50 times. This is something you can grow in your own home, pretty easy to do, and you can get this great nutritional benefit. But even John Hopkins University studied the broccoli sprout, and they found that those broccoli sprouts would be so tremendously anti-cancer that they patented them for a period of time until an ethical judge threw it out of court because you can't patent nature. But they were impressed and all they worked with was different chemotherapy agents when they were testing these things. And they, you know, they mentioned the, you know, our director here, Brian, when they got to talk with these researchers that those phytonutrients in the broccoli sprouts are the most anti-cancer properties or chemicals that they've ever worked with. And they're working with different chemotherapy agents, you know? So that's where you're going to really start picking things up. But the other nice thing is you start adding in more greens to your diet and even things like wheatgrass juice to alkalize. As you alkalize the body, you help to prevent a spreading of cancer as well. And not to mention that, it'll also help your energy and many other assets of your, of your body and physiology. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you can start to move to to really bump things up and I would put water filtration in there as well would be a real good idea. Oh yeah, of course, definitely. Mm -hmm. Don't want to be drinking poisonous water. <laughs> <laughs> so one last question, do people need to be concerned about oxalates if they're going to be eating all these greens? Well, you know, we haven't really seen that a problem with the oxalates. The only time you probably want to minimize the oxalates is if you have somebody with very compromised kidney function, which we do test when people come here at Hippocrates. We do a, a very extensive blood panel. And if we notice that, then we could try to minimize that for those specific people. But beyond that, we've seen people do extremely well with those too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I had a friend say that she got a kidney stone from her green juices, but I don't know. Um, I mean, to say it wasn't from something else too. Yeah, there may have been some other factors before <laughs> before the juices came in, but yeah. yeah, it's that's unfortunate. But kidney stones, there's things we can do too for that. Okay. So I know that we have to wrap this up here, although I'd love to ask you 
a million more questions. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> maybe we'll continue do an, another we'll thing sometime. Right, we to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> but um, can you just tell the listeners where they can find you if they um, like to personally reach out to you or consult? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you know, of course, you know, we're here at Hippocrates if people need help, or if you decide you want to come here. You know, if you have questions or, you know, maybe you can't come here right now for whatever reason, you can give me a contact. Uh, you can reach me, uh, my email, uh, which is the letter T and then Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, at Hippocrates. That's H-I-P-P-O-C-R-A-T-E-S. And then at the end of that, I-N-S-T, inst.org, O-R-G. It's a long email, but you'll be able to get me that way. Okay, perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom. I, you know, I really appreciate all your information. Yeah. The listeners do too. And well, I know we, we dropped some bombs. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like there were some glints of hope too, which is yeah. what I, I'd like to leave my, my listeners and my, you know, my personal clients with too, is just to know that yes, this world is toxic and yes, things are getting crazy, but there's a lot of answers and a lot of research and things that are also growing on the other side where you know we can still do certain things and if we do oh, yeah. take care of ourselves then, then there is a light at the end of the tunnel yeah and you know you know i've written a few articles on it but i have different tips where you can find things that are anti-cancer through our website hmm. you know personally to, to sum up for me you know for my experiences as best you can to go towards a raw living foods diet to juice vegetable juices, green juices, get the sugars out of the diet the best you can. And using mind-body therapy, I think is very important too. Getting yourself assessed by a biological dentist to make sure there's nothing in the oral cavity giving any issues. And using whole food-based supplements and even oxygen and IV therapy can be very beneficial, such as vitamin C therapy, very beneficial for the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know that I said I was wrapping this up, but just one more thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so you um, had mentioned that we should be on a raw living foods diet. So why is that more, if someone is eating vegan and they're eating mostly cooked food, why is yeah. it really beneficial or why do they need to be more so on a raw living foods versus? Yeah, good, good question. So, you know, what happens is when we start to eat more cooked food, there's this process called digestive leukocytosis. So our body reacts to these cooked foods in, in the same way as like if it's getting like a foreign invader, the immune system's activated, it's getting involved with the digestion process with these cooked foods. That doesn't happen with raw foods. So then our immune system can deal with things like, you know, maybe those cancer cells that are a problem. The other thing is once we start to heat the foods, depending on the temperature, of course, higher levels of heat, such as frying, such as barbecuing, create higher levels of carcinogens actually in the food. So one of the first things we do is we try to stop making cancer with the food and the diet. And the other thing, unfortunately, that cooking will do is you're going to start to lose some of the nutrients in the food. So you'll start, unfortunately, to destroy those great phytonutrients I mentioned that are highly anti-cancer. You'll start to destroy the enzymes that will help you absorb the food. You're going to start to destroy some of those water-soluble nutrients and that chlorophyll that we want too. So we're going to start to lose a lot of those nutrients we want 
And, you know, we want to really try to support in an optimal way with nutrition. So those are some of the factors that cannot be ideal. And from some of the research that Brian's done, when we start to incorporate more and more cooked foods, it can potentially drop the immune function as well. So for example, even when one's pretty healthy, we recommend 80% raw food, 20% cooked vegan. But when we start to increase that by say up to 30% in cooked food, then it can de decrease the immune system by about 27%. You know, adding in another 5%, 35%, we're close to 50% uh, suppressing immunity. You know, these are some of the things that we've learned over time. And that's why we try to keep people at a very high level with raw foods when there's a health challenge. Okay, great. All right. Well, that was a great way to sum this up. So <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much again, Tom, for coming to the show. And yeah. I'm grateful to have you. And I, I know the listeners are grateful to have you too. Awesome. Great to be here. And uh, I'm glad you're doing good. Okay. Thank you so much, Tom. Absolutely. Okay. Bye-bye. And if any of you are interested in learning more about having a consultation with me to discover what is at the root of your health and fitness challenges so you can live the best life that you can live and fulfill your callings and purpose in life, please visit thewellnesstrinity.com to learn more about our in-office and distant consultations.